So let's again pray. Lord, help us that as we are gathered together this evening that you wouldn't end up saying to us that you'd shown us so much but we still had failed to understand. So come and be amongst us, we pray, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. So what uh, we're going to do this evening is very simple, really. We're just going to go through the text, through the words, see what it says, and uh, try and think about it, explain it a little bit, uh, ponder on it a little bit uh, for about half an hour or so. So what do we have here? Now if you've got your Bible there, and you've still got the place. We were in Mark chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000. If you flip back just about a page or so, you'll find chapter 6, verses 30 to 44, which is the feeding of the 5,000. And these are sort of twins. They're, they're very like each other. Not exactly the same, but very, very like each other. Uh, so... Jesus has done more or less the same thing on two separate occasions. And in between times, Jesus is expecting the disciples to learn and think of the implications of what he's done. The feeding of the 5,000 was in a way a quiet thunderbolt because there were 5,000 people, at least 5,000 people in a remote place, in a desert place, and Jesus just fed them. Uh, you see it in chapter 6, verse 38, uh, with five loaves and two, two fishes, two fish. And it really, I suppose in a way it's a quiet sort of miracle. It doesn't make a lot of noise, does it? Jesus took this small amount of food and distributed it and in the end, everybody had enough to eat. And the crowd was thinking, what just happened? What just happened? And then they begin to think, who is Jesus who can do this? And all sorts of reactions and responses. In John's Gospel, we're told, that they were so impressed that some of them said, we want to make Jesus king by force. And they were gonna go up to the front and grab him and say, he's gonna be our king, lift him shoulder high, look what he can do, if he can do this with bread and fish, goodness knows what he could do with spears and swords and the Roman army and everything like that. They wanted to make him king by force. A very dangerous situation and Jesus responded to it by sending uh, sending his disciples away very quickly because it has explosive possibilities. But did the disciples or did anybody understand about it? If you look at chapter 6, verse 52, Jesus walked on water coupled with the feeding miracle and the disciples were absolutely terrified and absolutely amazed, 652. And it says they had not understood about the loaves. 
They hadn't seen the point. And tellingly, it says, their hearts were hardened. They had hard hearts and didn't understand, didn't take it in, it didn't go in, their hearts were hardened. Please can you find, don't lose the other places, but Isaiah chapter six. Okay, if it's too difficult to find Isaiah six, don't worry, but if you know where it is, it might be worth looking at it with your own eyes. Isaiah chapter six, so going way back in the Old Testament now to the ministry of the prophet Isaiah, and he was sent to the nation of Israel, God's favored favorite family, if you like, and Isaiah was told, this is what you're going to do. You're going to speak to the nation of Israel, and you're going to sincerely teach them and uh, uh, engage with them and plead with them uh, to come back to God, and this is what's gonna happen. This is Isaiah 6, verse nine. Notice the words. Go and tell this people, be ever hearing, but never understanding. Be ever seeing, but never perceiving. Make the heart of this people calloused, hard in other words. Make their ears dull, close their eyes, Otherwise they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. It's a very mysterious thing to say, isn't it? But, uh, I mean, how does that all work out? But I, we can see what's happening, uh, if, if you like, from on the surface point of view. Isaiah goes and speaks to these people with all his heart and the end result is that at the end of his ministry, fewer people believe than did at the beginning. Uh, and the effect of what he's done is that people get hard, resistant, their eyes don't work, their ears don't work, their hearts don't work, and they don't turn to God to be healed. It's an awful situation. It's an awful situation. But you can, you can get the point, can't you? that God goes out of his way to speak to these people and even though God goes out of his way and is so patient, they're still resistant and they get harder and harder and harder. And uh, you know, somebody's got to do it and Isaiah was the man through whom that ministry happened. So that's way back in the Old Testament. Keep those thoughts in your mind because Excuse me. <coughs> Sorry. As Jesus is teaching people, walking around, talking to people, doing miracles, this same question hangs over the response to Jesus. Did you notice then in chapter 8, verse 17, he talks to his disciples and he says, Guys, I'm really worried about you. Do you, look at this, 8.17, do you still not see or understand? 
Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember? You see, he's picking up that exact same thought, that exact language of the heart and the ears and the eyes, and he says, you guys, of all people, are you hard like this? So that's the question that hangs over this, uh, these passages. It hangs over the whole thing. What's going to happen to the disciples? It's, probably, it's a, perhaps a question that God might ask us. I don't know um, everybody's situation, but perhaps let's not assume that he, he's not saying it. I've shown you so much. You've had so much background. You've, you've, people have spoken to you and, and, and so on. Have you got the point? Or is it just all washed over you? Has it all gone past you? Have you seen but not, not, not seen? Have you heard but never taken it in? Do you know, I would imagine that there are churches all over the world filled with people to whom Jesus says, you're sitting there but you have never, ever got the point. You've seen so much, but you haven't taken it in. You've heard so much, but you haven't absorbed it. The question for those disciples, are your hearts hardened? It's rather uncomfortable, isn't it? Let's look at the, um, the, the action then in chapter 8. The 5,000 and the 4,000, it's worth comparing them because they are twins. Uh, they're not completely identical twins. The 5,000 was on home ground, home territory. The 4,000, well, we know from the geography of what's happened before that Jesus is up in the north, and that's sort of mixed territory, Gentile territory. Uh, the 5,000, if you look at the text, it says in chapter 6 that they were trying to go to a quiet place and get some rest, 6.31. Uh, chapter 8, well, we don't know really why Jesus was in that area. He just seemed to be in that area. He wasn't really trying to get rest, so that's a bit different. Here's a striking similarity. Chapter 6 verse, no, I haven't written it down, have I? Chapter 6, verse 34. When Jesus saw a large crowd, it says, he had compassion on them. He saw a large crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he looked at them and he thought, these people, they're so ignorant, they're so chaotic, they're just all over the place. And instead of Jesus saying, well, you know, good riddance to them, Jesus had compassion. And it says he taught them, uh, does it say he taught them many things? He began teaching them many things. So in, in that case, the particular thing was that he, they need to understand and in chapter 8, it says, or oh, Jesus this time says it himself in chapter 8, verse 2, 
seeing all these people, he says, I have compassion on these people. And in this case, what he says is, they've already been with me for three days and have had nothing to eat. If I send them home hungry, they'll collapse on the way because some of them have come a long distance. So in this case, the, the first case, the compassion meant that he taught people things. In this case, the compassion means that his particular sense is they need something to eat. But the compassion's the same. And it's a, it's a word which means the guts, you know, this area, the, the, the stomach, the, um, the uh, I suppose, the, the womb, if you're a woman. The, the, the area where you really feel things. And it is striking that Jesus says, I really, really feel for these people. It's a bit of a re reminder to us, isn't it? I don't know how you think uh, when you consider all the lostness of the world and all the chaotic lives and all the mess people get into. You think, well, let's turn off the news and we'll watch something more cheerful on another channel. I don't know whether Jesus would have done that, but it, it does say Jesus had, the quote is, gut-wrenching compassion on these people. The 5,000 he taught, the 4,000 he fed. Uh, there's a similar situation in both cases that the disciples are completely at a loss. So in verse 35 of chapter six, the disciples say it's a remote place, it's very late, send them away, they'll find something for themselves to eat. And Jesus says, well, you give them something, and they say, this is impossible. It would take eight months of a man's wages, are we to go and spend that much on bread and give it to them to eat, get real, Lord? And <coughs> In chapter eight, uh, similar sort of question, uh, the disciples answered, but where in this remote place can anyone get enough bread to feed them? It isn't just that uh, Sainsbury's is closed uh, or Aldi is closed. It is, we, there isn't a Sainsbury, there isn't an Aldi, there isn't anything remotely like that, so we, it can't be done. There's a, there's a common factor that the disciples are at a loss it doesn't put the disciples in a very good light, but it's actually quite realistic, isn't it, that uh, often the disciples, including ourselves, are at a loss. Um, best thing to do is to come back to Jesus and ask him what to do next. Uh, Jesus says to them, um, what have we got? And both stories have got the slender resources. Chapter six, it's a uh, five loaves and two fish and chapter eight it's seven loaves and we're not told about fish although we're told later that there are a few small fish so this is very slender resources actually this is a quite encouraging part of the story because it shows what Jesus can do with what we think is not very much and in both cases you have this cascade effect where the loaves and the fish are brought to Jesus so they're in his hands he takes the seven loaves and gives thanks verse 6 he breaks them so I think that must have been quite a, a marvelous thing everybody sitting around 
And what's Jesus doing over in the distance? He seems to have got something in his hands. He's looking to God and thanking God for, well, not very much, thank you Lord for this. So it's in his hands, taken, broken, and he gives it out. And somewhere in that process, I don't know quite how, how the miracle happens, but it happens, doesn't it? Somewhere in that process, he gives this to the disciples, so the disciples are involved. They're not left while Jesus does all the running. Uh, they're involved in this, because Jesus likes to involve his disciples in things. And uh, we have this divine act of feeding. Verse eight, the people ate and were satisfied. The word satisfied is significant. It's in both cases. It's also the word that was used by the Syrophoenician woman um, for, oh, I can't actually remember which bit it was for. Uh, first, let the children be satisfied, Jesus told her. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs, you remember? So it, it, the, the miracle is a divine act of feeding. It's God seeing people who need stuff and are empty and are about to die and God saying, I can see what they need and I will provide it and giving it sort of person by person, mouth, to, mouth by mouth to these people so that they live and that's a, a wonderful um, demonstration, isn't it? The God who feeds people who would otherwise die. And of course, part of the, the thing we're supposed to remember is that's exactly what Jehovah, the Lord, did in the Old Testament when the people were in the, in the desert and they would have died. They knew that and God knew that and they said, God, you don't care about us. You're not going to do anything for us. And God said, don't be silly. Who do you think I am? You just wait and I will provide. And he provided the manna, didn't he? Uh, this um, mysterious food that was given every day to the people who needed it. And really Jesus is reenacting that. Uh, with all the implications for who Jesus is. It's a feeding miracle, and one of the things that we will think about when we come round the Lord's table is, of course, that that's exactly a right way to understand what Jesus did on the cross, that he provided a meal for people who would die otherwise. And the meal is really himself. I am the living bread who comes down from heaven, says Jesus. Whoever eats of me will never die. Your fathers ate the manna in the desert, but they died. Whoever eats this bread will never die. No, is that what he says? Will, will rise again. He's talking about the resurrection, really. He's talking about eternal life. The manna just delayed death. The bread, which is Jesus, defeats death. And of course, bread isn't a completely adequate idea. And in John's gospel, Jesus says, uh, I am the bread of life. And then he goes on to say, you have to drink my blood and eat my flesh. And the blood bit of it, uh, the, 
the, the Pharisees, the, the Jews can't, can't take that. Of course, that's to do with death. It's not, it's, we've moved from the bakery to the butchery, haven't we? From the baker shop who makes bread to the butcher shop where you have blood. And, of course, Jesus is, is saying in John's Gospel, what you have to get in mind is that you can't have this food without the blood part of it. If I hadn't died, there would be no meal. If I hadn't taken God's wrath upon myself to the point of death, then there'd be no meal. Anyway, that's, that's taking a little bit further than Mark takes it. He feeds his people. And the people are satisfied. That comes in both of them. And there's a leftover. There are... Um, seven baskets full the, the, with the feeding of 5,000 there were 12 baskets full with the, this one the seven and then they leave so there's similarities and differences but I do notice that Jesus is prepared to teach the same lesson twice now if you're a school teacher or a teacher you know that it's a great thing to have a store of lessons that you can teach multiple times isn't that right Mark? Yeah, that's part, of, uh, that's part of the professionalism but I don't think Jesus had to teach the same lesson he didn't have to teach the same lesson twice He's lots of, but he was prepared to teach the same lesson twice and I think that's rather encouraging because the disciples didn't get the idea the first time and you could sort of think of Jesus saying well if you haven't got this the first time then I'm just going to I'm fed up with you but Jesus is actually prepared to say, okay, you didn't get it, let's do the whole thing all over again. So we just go right back to where you were, do the whole thing all over again. And I'm, I'm rather encouraged that Jesus is prepared to do that because I think that shows his, his patience. And I need his patience, I don't know about you. So let's look at the reactions that come next. And the reaction in verse 11 the Pharisees, now we've moved away to another region, but the, the two bits are connected. The Pharisees came and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. And this is where Jesus sighs deeply. Now just bear with me for one moment while I look this up. Do you not think that's a strange thing for the disciple, for the Pharisees to ask? Do you not think that's a strange thing? Because Jesus has just fed 4,000 people. They, they must have heard about it. They weren't completely ignorant. But they come to Jesus and say, you, you, you just fed 5,000 people, you just fed 4,000 people, plus, 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 all other things. Could you give us a sign from heaven? Could you do something? You know? I think that's a very odd question. It's exactly the same in John's Gospel where you have the feeding of the 5,000 and the, and the Pharisees turn up. Could we have a sign, please? Well, what do you think just happened? What do you think just happened? The Pharisees' reaction, they ask for a sign from heaven. And what is it that makes them say that? What is it that makes them say, we're still not convinced 
I mean, they're not even saying that, are they? They're saying, we don't think we've seen anything yet. I mean, what sort of stupidity is, is, is this? What sort of hardness of heart? What sort of ignorance? What sort of spiritual blindness is there that these people should say, oh, we haven't seen a sign. And the reaction of Jesus is this sigh, which we looked at last week. It's a very interesting reaction, isn't it, this sigh. He doesn't, he doesn't lose his temper. He doesn't get, uh, loses, uh, doesn't get angry with them, but he does sigh. And I think it's a world of implication in that sigh. It's certainly not approval, is it? But it, 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 there's, there's something, oh, you know, oh, these people. But he is, um, but he does say to them, well, he asks the question, why? Why does this, miracu- why does this generation ask for a miraculous sign? It's worth listening to that question, isn't it? You know, if, if you were worried that that was you, Jesus is saying, well, why are you asking that? What, what, what is it that's going on inside you that's making you say that? And then Jesus rather solemnly says, I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Now, I don't, I don't think he's meaning he won't do any more miracles, because he certainly does. And I don't think he's... Uh, Yeah, I don't think he's saying, uh, I mean, the resurrection is a sign, and that, that definitely happens. But I, is, I think he is saying there is such a thing as a window of opportunity, and a window of opportunity opens, and a window of opportunity closes. And again, I'm, I'm thinking of John's Gospel, where in the same sort of situation, let me just read you what he says in a similar situation in John's Gospel. Uh, he says to them, it's, what have I got, 12.35, he says, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overtakes you. The man who walks in the dark does not know where he's going. Put your trust in the light. He's saying, while, you've got the, while the light's still shining, have you ever been in those places where you walk down the stairs, uh, walk down the um, yeah, staircase, and you have to push a button at the top to put the light on? ever been one of those things that's worked on a sucker you push it and it goes <laughs> and you run to the stairs before it goes and it switches off again you know what I mean and Jesus is saying while he's here on earth the light is shining now make the most of it before the light goes out again I'll read you what it says in John's gospel a little bit further even after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence they still would not believe in him this was to fulfill the word of of Isaiah the prophet Lord who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed for this reason they could not believe as Isaiah says elsewhere he has blinded their eyes and deadened their hearts though they neither see with their eyes nor understand with their hearts nor turn and I would heal them 
Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. You see that same connection? Same connection. Okay, let's, uh, there's a door of opportunity and, and there's a warning. I think that's a warning. Now maybe you're in the situation where you're just entering that window of opportunity and you're thinking, oh, there's so much that I've got to find out there's so much I need to learn, and I want to urge you to, to put your, don't take your foot off the accelerator. The stuff to learn, well, learn it. Don't postpone it. Don't say, well, I might, I might try and learn this may, maybe next year, you know, or the year after. Now's a good time. Don't let the time go by. Don't let that window of opportunity close. Make the most of it. And uh, actually, Jesus makes it into a warning, doesn't he? In the next, uh, the next sentence, he says, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and of Herod. Don't let yourself get hard. Don't let yourself get blind. But instead, respond to what God's showing you. Ask him to make to, to, that you can use every bit that he gives you. Let's look at the disciples' reaction. Now the disciples had forgotten to bring bread, this is verse 14, except for one loaf which they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them, watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. Now when he says yeast, we know he doesn't mean he doesn't mean bread, he doesn't mean stuff you bake bread with, he means, uh, he actually means the, the mindset, the, the thinking, the attitude, the, the teaching of the Pharisees and of Herod. He says, watch out for that attitude because if you pick that up, you'll be hard like them and you'll be saying stupid things like show us a sign when I've already shown you a million signs. He says, watch out for that. And the disciples in their in their blissful ignorance say, oh, he's saying that because we forgot to pack the sandwiches this morning. Who was gonna do the sandwiches? Weren't you gonna get some bread? You were gonna get some cheese. Well, why didn't you do it? We haven't got anything. That's what Jesus is. And Jesus is saying, you ignorant twits. What are you talking about sandwiches for? I'm not talking about sandwiches. They've completely missed the point are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see? This is quite, quite um, penetrating questions, aren't they? Guys, you're not going to be like the Pharisees, are you? You're not going to end up like the people that Isaiah prophesied about, are you? You're not going to have eyes which don't see and ears which don't hear and things that you forget? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear and don't you remember? Don't you remember? Do you not remember what I said? Do you not remember what just happened the day before yesterday and then a couple of weeks previously? Don't you remember? And of course the sad fact is we don't remember, do we? 
Have you learnt that about yourself? That God can do something for you, teach you something, and at the moment you think, that's, wow, that's just going to, I'm going to never forget that. And the following day you've completely forgotten it. Have you never noticed yourself doing that? And he says here there's a, there's a, a spiritual... Um, necessity of using the memory use your eyes what, does it, what, what do you see use your ears what do you hear and use your memory when you've heard it and, and, and seen it don't forget it but remember it go back over it it's one good reason for trying to to get scripture into your memory and one good way of doing that is reading it actually and then reading it again and reading it again and, and some of it will stick and you remember it it's worth remembering like that. another good exercise is having sufficient of a diary that you can remember the good things that God has done because I can because I, I, uh, some years ago I decided that I would keep a diary of, of the things I was thankful for and you'd be surprised how, this is my testimony, I think God hasn't done anything for me in the last month. Hang on a minute, look back in the diary. Actually, it was only last week you prayed about something you thought, oh, I really need God for this. And look, God answered that prayer. And of course, that, you'd forgotten that. And that, you'd forgotten that. And the, the value of having a way of remembering what God has done. Well, this is, this is what... Uh, what he says here. They'd forgotten the five, well, I don't know what that stands for, five loaves, 5,000 people, 12 baskets left over. Seven loaves, 4,000 people, seem to have lost a zero in there, don't I? Seven baskets left over. But he, you know, he says there are some statistics, which I fail to copy properly, but there are some statistics to help you spiritually. It's interesting, isn't it? remembering those numbers is meant to help them spiritually and he says so he reminds them you know, there's hard facts that you could look back on that would help you and so I put the value of I don't know what do you think is valuable in helping us to keep um, to keep sensitive to God, to not be hard, to not be ungrateful. Um, anybody here keep any sort of diary like that? Hmm? Off and on, yeah. Yeah, off and on. Anybody else? Got one off and on. <laughs> one sort of. It's, worth, it's, it's certainly worth thinking about. Maybe you've got much better memories than our Semmer and me, and you could remember anyway. I remember, you know, you know, some people do have very good memories. Probably doesn't include me. But the value of calling to mind, making a deliberate effort to think, you know, to say, this is how I feel. Okay, that's how I feel. I don't put too much store on how I feel. Let's actually think about what God has done Let's think about what God has said. Let's remember those things. And then I'll think how I feel when I've, con when I've contemplated the facts, if you like, the hard facts, the statistics, the realities of who God is and what he's done. And then, 
That puts a different light on things. Well, the, 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 the section that we're looking at ends with an unresolved question. Do you still not understand? And as we go further on, we will find out whether they did or didn't. Let's sing together. <laughs>